Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. This is episode 26 of the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, and I am Trevor L. Nelson. Today we're doing something a little bit different. Alex, as you know from our last episode, is on his honeymoon. So I am flying solo just for the intro and the outro because we recorded before he left the interview that we were talking about with Greg Germanian of Slated.com. So I just want to let you know that we will be back as soon as Alex gets back from his vacation and stops being selfish and brings me euros and all that good stuff. Uh, but first, so you don't think that I am forgetting about you all, I am still drinking Kona beer because that's all I've been drinking for the last three months and my life is boring. So just sit back, enjoy the interview with Greg Germanian, and we'll talk to you guys later. Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit. A podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. All right, we are here with Greg Gertmanian, Head of Development at Slated. How are you doing, Greg? Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I'm excellent. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. No problem. No problem. So, with our guests... We like to... Wait, little disclaimer. Yeah. Alex knows Greg from college, so there'll be some inside jokes that maybe some of you people don't get. I don't, don't know get. if there will be inside jokes. There jo- I mean, will I be. I can't remember anything there from back will. then. <laughs> um, there'll be things that you may not understand. Just go with it, folks. Go with it. They know each other very well. Okay. okay. All right. Go into it, Alex. Sorry. All right. Well, with our interviews, we like to... Because there's so many different ways that people go about getting into this industry, it's like there's no real path to get in there. We like to sort of give people an introduction to how you came to be where you're at right now. So how did you, what's your background? What got you interested in film and how did you end up at Slated? Sure. Thanks. So, um, so my path is pretty unconventional. I would say, um, I, when, when we were in college together, I was focused, um, on comedy and, and, uh, I was in a sketch group with some mutual friends of ours and, uh, and was doing stand-up and writing and directing and, and doing sketch comedy. And um, and out of college, I did a bit of that, but there's a very natural transition that takes place, I think, for, for people who need to have more control, which is that you decide that you need to be producing content um, so that you're not just waiting for calls in order to be creatively involved with things. And um, the first short film that I ever got to do presented itself as an opportunity with an audience. I had a friend who, uh, a couple of friends who were in the fighting game community. I don't know if you guys know much about fighting games like Street Fighter and oh, yeah. and, and their ilk. But, um, but, but the thing that sort of got me into producing was, um, was the opportunity to make a short film for for Evo um, in 2011, which is the world's largest fighting game competition. And um, I had a friend with an incredible idea to do a backstory for a Street Fighter character named Balrog. And I had a friend who was pretty uh, well-connected in the fighting game community and a friend who was a director. And we said, let's let's give this a shot. So we, we flushed out the script and we found a way to make it happen. And I, as you, know, you guys can probably attest with producing, it's um, it's really just about problem solving and yeah, trying definitely. to figure out how to how to clear every hurdle that's thrown in your way and how to stretch a dollar and um, and how to and then ultimately how to how to edit together something that's engaging and uh, and so that was really my entry point was making this short because we knew there would be an audience of I don't know how many ultimately there was. You know, thousands on the stream, and there's thousands in the, in the room, and they screened it in the stadium in the, in the middle of this competition. They were doing it uh, leading up to the Street Fighter finals, and it went really well. And it was just such a fulfilling experience. Everybody was really engaged, and um, and I knew then that that was the thing that uh, I needed to pursue. So I um, shortly uh, after, or maybe next year, I had just joined my brother had started a, a management. And production company that's focused whose focus was on um, representing new aspiring writers in the feature space um, and so I joined him on the client side and development side and uh, it was a really good opportunity because although it was a small company and so we had to fight for every scrap 
and clients were constantly being poached and you know when you don't when you don't have when you're starting from scratch like we were um you don't it's it's a you know it's an uphill climb to build that credibility but at the same time we were the tip of the spear in terms of getting great projects to producers and financiers and setting them up and developing them so it was very much eat what you kill and uh we were responsible you know although we worked with entertainment attorneys ultimately you know we were responsible for helping put those deals together um in addition to developing so the years that i spent there um were really essential even though it's a it's it's not companies not really active anymore it was essential at learning how to put the deal together and how to put the project together um and uh and helps prepare me for um, the next chapter which for me was a company called Spec Scout. So I should say that the the management company that my brother founded had a tech component to it. It wasn't just uh, it wasn't just uh, finding clients off the street. It was also using this um, custom software that he had developed from scratch. He's oh, very smart. Yeah, he's cool. he has a, um, a he had a background in programming, and he also um, had a background in in the studio um, system, working on various lots. And so he devised this, this custom sort of development software that allowed us to log into our own database of client scripts and all incoming submissions. And we could, um, we had our, a team of our sort of internal interns who were reading the projects, scoring them. And uh, it, it was after a few years of that that we met a guy named Jason Scoggins who uh, had been publishing the Scoggins Report for a number of years. And the Scoggins Report was at the time um, sort of the annual snapshot of how many spec feature scripts had sold that year and how many pitches had been set up. And so it was sort of a, um, a check on the health of the business um, and, and a testament to how well you could do as a, as a spec feature writer, just writing something you know, on your own and then trying to sell it. And he said, hey, the software you guys have built is fantastic. What if we put up a database that did that um, for the whole spec market and tracked it in real time? And um, what if instead of you know having interns read scripts and randomly and some scripts getting one read and others getting 12, why don't you have a team that reads everything and gives everything three reads every time? And why don't we have a 100-point score um, that's associated with those reads? And so that was... Wow. The basis of a product that became my my entry point into the business, which is the script score. Um, it was at Spec Scout, that company that we founded with Jason Scoggins, that we were able to track the whole feature spec market for a number of years and see, okay, well, hey, it this script score thing actually means something because the projects with higher script scores are getting more attention, but more importantly, projects with higher script scores where the three people who read on our team think the story is good, those ended up being films that did quite well critically. And so a few years later in around 2015, when Spec Scout was acquired by Slated, my current company, um, they made the, the script scoring system a part of um, the marketplace on Slated. And um, I became the head of the story department film development there and we were able to use all of that data that we've been acquiring about you know scoring market specs before they were produced to see what the correlation is with rotten tomatoes and and other types of success and so it's on that foundation which you know no one would i could never have known when we started <laughs> yeah that that would be, so you know that we would that okay well you know after five years you'll have scored ten thousand projects and <laughs> 400 of them will be films and um, and that will be the product. I yeah. never know that, but that's yeah. exactly what happened. So now, so, you know, but the whole while I was sort of setting up projects and, and doing my thing, but really it's the intersection of tech and development, tech and film development that became my de facto <laughs> expertise. And now that's what I do for Slater. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's right. What, what, uh, what uh, year did you start Spec Scout? do you think? If you remember, we started it. I think we hard launched in 2012, and we've been in beta um, for a little while before that. And you know, 
yeah, if you're not counting the the precursor yeah. uh, software, then I would say around 2012. Very cool. Super cool. That's awesome. So before you before Slate had acquired um, Spec Scout, they didn't have any um, development aspect to their company, so it was just sort of like finance uh, only at that point. More or less, yeah. So Slate had started around 2012 as well, and when they started, it was a closed network uh, place for uh, investors to meet independent film projects. But there weren't, I think, at the time of launch, they didn't have any analytics at all. So it was all manually done. You, in order to be an investor on the platform or a member of the platform, I should say, you had to be vouched for by two existing members. Oof, and yeah. um, and then you could join and view projects. And then in order to have your project on the platform, you had to submit for approval. And there were you know curators who would look at your project and determine at a glance, I don't know if they would even read the script, whether or not it was worthy of listing. And so that's how the, the platform started off. I don't think there was even a team score element when it started meaning that people, the, your credits weren't even getting scored. And right. uh, it was successful to the extent that investors were meeting projects they liked and investing in those projects. So we saw, you know, that there was actually a lot of capital moving from the investors to projects on the platform. But the problem is that the without any guiding light, the independent film marketplace is kind of a mess if you don't have any structure in place yeah. to help people evaluate what they're doing and and build build products in a sensible way. So those investments. You know, I don't know that all those films got, I mean, in fact, I know a lot of those films never got released um, or they got such a limited release that they didn't stand a chance of recouping. Um, the investments at times were small and many of those projects were really obscure. So it was a success to the extent that it was a proof of concept for, yes, you know, if you curate projects and you curate investors and the two meet online, something nice can happen. But, uh, but we realized at that time, or I should say the team before me did, that a lot more needed to happen terms of how we filter the projects, how the introduction is made, and how those projects are essentially assembled online. Nice. So I think um, I joined Slated maybe back way back then. I don't even remember. Yeah. I, um, I think it was before we had to after you had to be curated. Like it was an open No, I think I had to get Oh, maybe maybe you stuff. vouched for me. That's yeah, maybe how I got in. Oh man, are those guys <laughs> fools? If Alex vouched for me, <laughs> nice. beat the system. <laughs> it's great. This is an exclusive group I'm talking. To. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, would you say now that um, the development aspect is in there and the financing, like how much data do you think Slated is pulling in? They're they're kind of tracking all sorts of stuff, and do you think that data? is being used or will be used in the future to sort of accurately predict how films will do? Yeah. Yeah. So the, so there's, I'm in a squeaky chair. I'm going to get out of the squeaky chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to keep being a problem. We so weren't going to mention what it sounded like, but yes, probably better if you get out of the squeaky chair. I have a squeaky Thanks, chair yeah. too. I have a squeaky chair Thanks, too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I got a cousin. I got a cousin with the real squeaky chair. Um, so anyway, so yeah. So in terms of the data, um, we are doing a lot of uh, a few different things. The first is uh, is the scoring of, of credits. So and, and people. So when you become a member of Slated, the first thing you want to do is connect your your profile to your credits. Um, and those credits are pulled from various online sources, Studio System and IMDb and, and elsewhere. And we have a system that algorithmically goes through your credits, looks at the um, number of films you've been associated with, the roles you're associated with those films in, um, the box office of, that, of those films, and, and then weights the value of each of those ex experiences towards your, to your personal credit score on the platform. So, so if you are, say, you are a forty scoring, if your if your individual credit score is a forty, a portion of that is going to come from producing some movies. A portion is going to come from uh, write, some writing roles, and so on and so forth. And what that allows us to do is 
when you attach to a project, we know the value you're lending to that role. So if you attach as a producer, perhaps, um, you'll be lending more value to that project um, in terms of your producing experience than you would as your writing experience. But the, the, the individual credit score is just a way to, at a glance, see people's different experience in the film industry. And it's not a, you know, the thing that I always say with uh, credit scores and then the, the summary of those team scores, when, when you put all of the people on a, a project together and you evaluate them holistically, that's the team score. And, and the, the ethos there isn't to gate out newbies um, by any means. In fact, you know, Slated is meant to be an open network for that anyone can join and anybody can submit their project on. Um, the purpose is really just to um, get us all on the same page about where certain projects need to be uh, holistically at a team level in order to accomplish certain goals. So by that, I mean, we're not saying you know, don't ever attach a zero scoring writer to your project or don't ever make a, um, don't ever make a project from a, a writer with no credits that happens all the time on the platform. Um, we're not saying don't make a film with a first time director because that happens all the time on the platform. But what we are saying is if you have multiple, you know, no scoring, no, no feature experience level members of the film team, then it becomes essential for you to go seek people with more experience so that they can light the path um, of your project and, and let you know what's going to be coming ahead down the road. So it, what we'll commonly do with projects that have, you know, directors that haven't directed a feature before is we'll say um, the person that you really need to meet is a high scoring producer, a producer that's taken movies in your budget range out time and time again and sold them and had success with them creatively. Um, so that's the purpose of the first component, the credit score and the team score of a project. The second thing that we're doing is the script score, which I mentioned. And so that, to, to give a little bit more detail there, our process is for every project that comes in, we take the cover page off and we have it read blind with no package information, no information about its origin by three different members of our story team. And our story team is about 10 people that work with me. They've all been with me for about five years, give or take. Um, they've all read about a thousand projects with me and scored those projects with me. And so we're very, very familiar with each of those people's ability to, um, their relationship creatively with the material and their ability to predict um, good movies, essentially, and gate out films that maybe may not be bad, but maybe aren't there yet in the draft. So we'll have three people read blind independently, no cover page. They each score the project. It's all draft based again. So they're imagining if this script were shot um, and that returns us a hundred point script score. Um, projects in the seventies are uh, kind of the, where, you, where we like to play. So from at 70 and above a script is more or less ready for production. Low seventies indicate that something could use some some work, um, that there's things that we want to execute. If not in the draft, then at least in execution. And then high 70s, 80s, and above, that's stuff that's where the draft is really strong. And you know, um, and we know from experience, if you see it means when someone says this in an email, and here's why you don't make that type of project for this budget, and here's how you approach talent, and, and that sort of thing. So I would say that the mistakes that I see are similar ones to what you've probably you guys have observed, which is, you know, maybe people just don't have a sense of the value of that project in the market, so they're calling it a ten million dollar movie, when today's market says it's a two million dollar movie, um, or they have the crew they have because they don't have a network yet, they've never worked on the lot, they don't have friends in the business, so they're making the film with the people they have, and maybe nobody on that team knows anything about how to sell a movie or the need for a sales agent or what a sales agent does or which of course you guys have experience in. And that's sort of the, you know, if I had to highlight one in particular, I would say that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue is because, because independent filmmakers often don't have um, a background in sales or distribution. They can't possibly know how those deals are done. And because they don't know how those deals are done, they don't know how to back into one. And so, so, so often people are building a project that they may be passionate about, but they may be 
inherently difficult to sell when a few tweaks, whether that's the team's budget or the script, could have gotten them there. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, just, you know, the solution for that is just having access to people who are in the film business and having transparent analytics that allow you to see, oh, oh, here's my project's weak spot. Here's what I need to work on. I really need to be focusing on talking to a sales agent so that they can tell me what level of cast I need or what, or what have you. Totally. So, you know, you're talking about like, oh, you know, bundling your project together. You don't have the greatest um, credits for all your crew and your, your, your group that you're doing it. Does Slated allow people to, and maybe it's just as simple as like writing a, a link on, in a uh, you know, comment section or something, a way to kind of add a sizzle reel. So say you have a director who hasn't directed much, but you really like this director. They don't really have a good credit score, but they have a vision that you as maybe the producer or the um, writer – really like and really think that they'll be able to, you know, bring it to fruition better than other people you've seen. Can they add sizzle reels into their their package, into their project, or is it as simple as just like, hey, here's a link to a YouTube video um, that I made that is like the sizzle reel for this project? Totally, yeah. So on your film page, you have the ability to include a link, and it can be either a, a sizzle for that project or it can be a link to collateral material or the director stuff they've done before. And I think that's very effective because an independent film, if you have a good eye for talent, you can pick a good quote unquote first time director. That's not really a first time director. They're considered sometimes by the market to be first time because they haven't done features before. Right. But maybe they've been doing these music videos that are outstanding narratives. And maybe they're also doing short films that are, you know, essentially a 10 minute feature that creates an incredible tone and gets really great performances out of actors when you can see that for an investor, uh, particularly one who likes independent film, it's not really such a risk, is it? Because you're, you're betting on this director to just do what they've already done um, for a longer period of time. And if you have the script and you know the script is good, then you're in good shape. Um, a project that we uh, helped put the financing together for recently called Deep Murder is a really weird film by a quote unquote first time director uh, named Nick Cororossi. And he had never directed feature before, but he had done multiple, you know, really um, highly viewed uh, videos for Funny or Die and shorts for Funny or Die that were incredible. I mean, he's directed A-list celebrities and the sketches that he's done for Funny or Die are some of my favorites ever. So we were able to um, share a link of, of that collateral material with investors that looked at the project and said, and say, Look, okay, yeah, this director, quote unquote, doesn't have any feature credits, but A, look at the script score, B, look at the team surrounding him, and C, look at all this collateral material. If you think his stuff is funny, then, and you like the script, then, and you think the budget is sound, then what's not to like? And um, I think that was part of the value proposition that allowed us to get financing into that film. And it was just in um, LA Film Festival a couple weeks ago. And totally packed house both nights and people loved it. And it's a really, it's a film that could only have ever been done independently. Yeah. The concept is so wacky and we're, and that's the kind of stuff we want to, we want to take, take our risks on and, and, and make visible for our investor community. That's awesome. Um, I kind of want to circle back to the, um, the script coverage a little bit. Um, just for sure. people who haven't done that before, um, and are thinking about it, or maybe they have a, a script they're working on, and they want to get coverage and stuff like that. Would, at what point in the writing process do you think someone should get coverage? Like uh, early on, like in, a, in earlier drafts, or should they make it so that they think it's ready and then send it to coverage um, before they... I think that's... A, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that's... Sorry, I cut you off there. Um, no, no, that's it. I, I think that it's a it's probably a budget budget question, right? Um, yeah. I, I think coverage is a useful tool so long as you trust um, trust the, the platform you're using. Uh, what I often recommend and what I often do myself is I will um, I will sort of stagger sets of coverage with rounds of reads from people I know personally. Yeah, uh, because coverage can be a really good way to sort of test the market to see 
is my is my story reading for someone who doesn't care about me? Because uh, that's ultimately what's going to happen when you push your film boat out into the waters and you see if it will sink or swim in the, in the market in theaters. So coverage is a good way, if it's good coverage, to to see if your your vessel is seaworthy, so to speak. But in order to get there, you may need you know somebody who you trust who can say the sweetened version of the notes you need to hear and coach you, um, right. coach you that way. So, um, you know, because a big part of the of process of having your stuff read, obviously it's brutalizing when you get coverage back and they really didn't like it. But, you know, at least for our process, that you could be a draft away from the version where somebody loves it. And you may need a voice in between saying, Hey, I did bump on that too. Here's what I know you were trying to do. And, and here's what I think you should try to get there. So I use, at least in our case, our, our script score and our three sets of coverage that we do, I use that as a sort of snapshot of health of the, of the draft. And then I will use my inner circle to, to develop the project in between using the notes as I see fit, which isn't to say that we use all the notes. We use the ones that we feel like are, you know, servicing a very focused vision of the project. Right. Because there's always going to be somebody who doesn't get it. Right. And that's, that's part of the three, the three reader thing too, is some of the, the highest scoring projects are like um, the post. We scored that as a spec. Obviously that was nominated for Oscars. It got Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg attached to it after it was written. So that's a pretty successful spec screenplay story. Yeah. And we covered it as a spec when it went out uh, it was like a strong recommend from one reader and I think maybe a recommend from a second reader. And then the third reader was like, this is fine. They gave it a consider. And I think it was not even a very high consider. Yeah. So, you know, if you're like looking for something to get pissed off about, you could be like, screw that third person that read my project. But the truth is that it doesn't matter because somebody loved it. So the score was high and that allowed it to be seen. I mean, our, we didn't finance that movie, but that, a third of people who read that script fell in absolute love with it meant that it could be made and meant that the audience who received it probably represented that, that contingency of third of people thought it was exceptional. Third of people thought it was solid work and a third of people thought it's fine. And that's, that's enough. That's, that's yeah, great. That's, that's, that's really good. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I'll take that any day. So we I have, see lots of movies uh, that are fine. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They got, they got our, our, our ticket price. So, I mean, we see a lot of projects that we scored that got recommend consider pass and it doesn't matter. So long as it has that recommend, we will take a shot on that project and see if we can find the contingent of the investor community and producer community that feels the way that first, that first person who read does. And uh, examples of those projects, which ultimately became somewhat polarizing movies, but successful ones include, you know, Jackie was a recommend consider pass. Um, Manchester by the Sea, I think, was a recommend pass pass, um, and uh, and in some ways, independent film is actually better off if it's polarizing. So yeah, yeah. My my asterisk next to the coverage thing is coverage is great. You know, it's a great tool. Don't take it too seriously. You know, there's always going to be somebody who doesn't connect with the material. That's part of the process. You just have to know how to ignore the people who don't get the vision and get your project to that place where it's winning over the people who do. Totally. So then, so if you get a script that someone's done coverage and they're they're you know getting your services and all that, I will admit I'm, I haven't been on Slate as much Alex has. Um, do you guys, as a company, actively search out investors? I know you have a pool of investors who are users of Slated. Or how often is it that you guys are searching out personally as a company for investors for a certain project? And how often is it that this pool of investors are kind of living on Slated.com, find a project they want that's just kind of like out there in the ether of slated.com and like, you know what? I want to fund this because I like it. Good question. So our investor community right now is about 2,100 investors and some change. Um, they range in size um, and activity. So we tend to focus on the upper 600 of those investors that we have the closest relationships with and for whom we know um, they can invest hundred thousand or more per picture while that that may seem like a lot but it really is sort of the minimum when you consider the average price of of a lot of these independent films even at a two million dollar movie 
you know, if you're taking $50,000 investments, it's, you're now trying to sort of amass a community of people putting in 50 grand each for, yeah. for, you know, for each person, that's probably more money than they can spend or to the limit. And now you're on the hook for so many people that care so much about that 50 grand. So that's not a very appealing proposition for the filmmaker or the investor. No filmmaker who's any good wants to corral, you know, 150 independent individual people who given, you know, that share. Um, and so for us, it's about, you know, engaging the higher tier investors and sales agencies, distributors, um, and uh, institutional investors, family offices, hedge funds, and just normal, plain old independent financiers of which there are many, many, many now. Um, and, and seeing if we get, you know, if, if the project resonates with any of them. Um, so that is an existing community. It's one that we're corresponding with on a daily basis. Uh, every project is right for a different subset of, of that community. And, um, and as far as new investors, we get applications for that on a pretty regular basis. I would say daily, probably we get applications for um, companies that are looking to become investors um, on the platform. And, uh, and so we go through a sort of a, a two-tier process in evaluating their ability to invest and what their level could be and, and try to get them, you know, depending on their level, they may see projects or they may not see projects very often. Um, but our process for every project that scores well, so if you get, you guys submit a project and it gets a 70 script and financial score, then we're gonna say, okay guys, what's the deal with the project? What's the budget? What do you need? Who do you have? Who are you looking for? And we'll do a deal with that project um, that engages our film finance department to try to match it with the elements that it needs. In some cases, it's a just a, you know great script that needs a producer who can put a strategy together. In some cases, it needs a sales agent. In some cases, it's ready for the equity financing. That's pretty rare. Most of the time, we have to put other pieces in place first. Um, but our deals are with the film, so we'll we'll sign a deal with the film that says if this is what we're looking to to get onto the project. We're going to engage the investor community and the producer community to try to make that happen. If we succeed and if the film gets made, then here's what our fees would be. And um, so because of that process, we're, we're taking out a couple projects per month manually to our investor community. You know, everybody who likes the project can request to read it. If they like it, we'll put them on the phone with the filmmaker. And some of those result in a deal. And some of those deals are enough to get the movie made. That's so awesome. that's what we're... Yeah, that's what that's the that's the that's the sort of day to day. Boring. It's it's it's. I mean, it's it's for me. It's truly a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You never know. <laughs> you never know where the where the next high scoring script is going to come from, and sometimes it comes from the unlikeliest place. And just by setting it up with the producer who gets it you can be taking something out of the ether and giving it momentum that probably would never have seen momentum before um, or otherwise I should say. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been fun. And then I should add that we're next year, I hope we'll be automating a lot of this too. So, oh, wow. you know, regardless of what your project scores, you'll have some matches available to you, even if you haven't done a deal with the film finance team so that you can go out there on your own, and match with um, investors who've said, you know what, I will take a flyer on projects with the 60 and above script score. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Directly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're, I just had a long, hour long conference call, productive debate, I would call it. <laughs> uh, now you sound like a businessman. About, <laughs> it was a productive debate um, about how, what the rules of engagement should be, um, you know. Does an investor now? If an investor isn't hearing from me and they're hearing directly from filmmakers, you know, what should that process be? How many filters should be in place to ensure that the investor doesn't feel spammed and they're actually motivated to engage, as opposed to being like, "Oh, how did I end up in this email chain with somebody?" Um, and so that's all about, you know, the quality measures that the investor sets and the filmmaker meets, and and I think ultimately we're going to allow the investor to initiate conversation but will allow matching to t well i'm saying things that aren't really but 
you know, it's all about how the matching takes place and who's able to take the first step. And hopefully by this, you know, by this time next year, we'll have a version of it that people can play with, whether or not they're directly dealing with their finance team. It's like Tinder for filmmakers. Just swipe right or left for the investor. Nice. That's the hope. Nice. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, yeah. So do you find that um, particular types of projects do better um, on Slater? Are there any patterns that you've noticed over the years working there of, of projects that seem to excel compared to others? And second part question, similar. Uh, if you if someone gave you $10 million right now to make a film based on your experience, what kind of project would you make? Those are good questions. Yeah. I think that to answer your first question, uh, unique projects tend to be, tend to get people's attention a little more quickly. If you have a 75 script score and you are similar to the sort of, you know, up the middle, soft, you know, dramedy indie with you know lesser known stars that people have chosen not to click on on netflix before yeah. uh that that doesn't do as well as something that is bold enough to to be really unique and, and take a risk like a deep murder which love it or hate it is the weirdest script you've ever read <laughs> um and so I, I would say the more unique the better right now distributors are being very very picky they're giving really, really low MGs to movies with big stars in them. And really what they want is for a movie to be, to have the capacity to break out. And, you know, you guys are probably the same way I do when I watch trailers. If it feels like something that I've seen a dozen times before uh, and it doesn't have anything to say, I might skip it or maybe yeah. wait till it's mm-hmm. And so the stuff that I end up seeing in theaters are the sorry to bother you's and the Mandy's and um, and things that help that I feel like are going to be a unique experience. Um, so I would say the the more if you if you have a project with something to say and if that something to say is unique, then and your script scores high. That's that's a good thing. That's something that we tend to see a lot of traction on. Nice. Um, hard hard to do, right? Easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then as far as the second question, I think if I had $10 million, I would make f- probably five movies. <laughs> nice. Good call. Nice. I would split it up. So we're all about, we're all about portfolio theory and, uh, and uh, taking more bets if possible. So uh, at $10 million, I could make, probably wouldn't break down this evenly, but at $10 million, I can make $2 million equity commitments to five films, each of which is probably... Uh, you know, like a four-ish million dollar movie. Um, and then I would try to pick, you know, good scripts and 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 do things that were distinct. Um, one of the, another film that we had earlier this year come out was called God Bless the Broken Road, which we only engaged on. We did the PA financing for that film. And we only engaged on it because it had 70 script score. And I would never have picked that movie because it's a faith-based movie and I'd never seen a faith-based movie and I just didn't think it was my market. But because it had the score, it did, we, we engaged with it. And, and then I, when we went to see the film, I realized I really liked it. Like it's, it's a movie that has a message and it's actually trying to do something good for the world. And so I would like if I did do a slate, I'd like it to be as diverse as possible. I'm not just connecting. I'm not hoping that, like, if I put five horror movies out into the world, I'm going to get the same horror audience to see all my <laughs> They're going to be distracted with everyone else's horror movies, and I'd be lucky if I get them to see one. So if I could if I could do a faith-based movie and a horror film and, a, you know, a comedy and a, and, a, and a drama and a thriller, that would be that would be fun. But we'll see. I'm not, you're not always so lucky to be so, you know, I, you're always lucky to have s- such a diverse set of good scripts. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So what's next with you, Greg? Are you moving more into producing as well now that you're um, settling into this head of development gig, getting more hands-on in the field? Uh, yeah. So I um, 
for the time being, I'm enjoying empowering filmmakers uh, because I'm learning so much from them and, and the various ways that they move mountains. Um, and this this particular chapter of my life is probably going to be a while. I think um, I'm probably going to be here for the foreseeable future to the extent that we're still doing what we're doing. And I feel like we're moving and shaking. I'm going to be happy to be here. And then, um, you know, in the future, there's always time to produce. I, I uh, it's fun to be, I miss the, at times I miss the hands-onness of it, the ownership of an individual project, but by the same token, you also sort of, as you guys know, you live in the, in the project for two, three years. Yeah. And yep. it's, there could be a lot of pent up uh, frustration and, and, um, and so, uh, but that's also fun because then when the baby's born, it's like the most exciting day of your life. So it both have their pros and cons for now. I'm, um, I'm enjoying just sort of hearing what other people have to say and, and trying to help them get out, get out to get, get realize their dreams. Nice. That's, that's, it's noble. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you think, in in a more broad sense, since you are, you have your hands or your eyes, I would say, on so many projects, where do you see the future of the film industry heading? I mean, you probably have the inside track on a lot of development and what's popular and you have it even backed by data science and all that. So where do you think this crazy industry of ours is is heading towards? That's a good question. It's hard to say. Um, I mean, I know for sure that the production of the construction of, of theaters in foreign markets is going to continue um, as other countries develop. Those countries are going to want to see films in their native language and have a theatrical experience. Um, I don't think the theatrical experience is going away uh, anytime soon. So I think if anything, we're going to start to see more foreign language films in our own market as the Hollywoods of other countries uh, come into view. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. Um, we have been telling our own story for many years. We've had the opportunity to do that with big budgets and, and flashy stars and a lot of other countries haven't yet had the opportunity to do that for themselves at the scale that we have. So. I guess the safest bet would be to say uh, more foreign films in the world and more foreign films may potentially flooding the U.S. market um, and maybe the U.S. theatrical market. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, but one thing's for sure, um, those other markets are going to mature and, uh, and I think we'll stand benefit from it. And then in the more immediate future, um, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, what we've seen is studios making fewer and fewer bets on fewer films with bigger budgets um, that are more international in appeal. And then this creates sort of a vacuum that's then rushed and filled by independent money and independent filmmakers. Um, so I see that continuing. Um, and beyond that, I don't have any, my vision gets cloudy beyond that horizon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seeing the fact that you said, you know, I would say you most of the big movies now, you know, your hundred million dollar or more, and then you have your million to two million dollars. So seeing that you would rather take ten million dollars and make five movies than one ten million dollar movie, you see that there's like probably a disappearing middle ground where there are these mid budget movies where it's so now, you know, it's kind of like the counterpoint to the big budget is you're getting your million dollar movies that are just unique. They don't need to make that much back to be profitable and right. they are you know, kind of a, a they they have the ability to say something that isn't being said, or is people are too scared to say it because it won't make enough money. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. Is that's an interesting question? Is who is going to fill the space of mid-budget projects? Um, right now, you have you have a lot of independent financiers that are attempting it. The fifteen million dollar range, ten to fifteen or twenty to twenty-five. Um, a lot of those projects don't don't fare super well, so it's a good question. Who will craft that knot and figure out what type of movie has a unique enough and broad enough appeal that it actually makes sense to spend the extra twenty million on it and compete with the studios? 
you just have to be really sure that your talent has value, the concept is intriguing, and that you're going to get some enough of a release and enough of a PA spend that you can actually be in the conversation with the studios. Um, that's a risky space right now, but uh, but yeah, I think that's a really good question. Who's going to be the how will that problem get? Who's going to be the one to come along and solve that problem um, time and time again? So that will be interesting to see. You you had mentioned Mandy, and me and Alex have yet to see it, and that, that is on my list of like number one movies to see. Yeah. Um, mm. I don't know. Do you know what the budget for Mandy was? I have heard it and forgotten. Okay, <laughs> excellent, fantastic. Um, I've heard it and forgotten, but I don't think it was. I don't. I, you know, it may have been in that space. I'm just guessing. I, okay. It may have been tennis. I'm just, but I'm. I'm just guessing. I don't really recall. Yeah. I mean, I think that is like. Of any movie that's coming out now, I think that is a perfect idea of something that's unique and couldn't be made if they were worried about losing money because it's a huge budget. I mean, I, granted, I don't know what Nick right. Cage is going for these days. Um, he has money woes, so he might be going the way of Busey and all them and <laughs> taking any project he can. That being said, I hear he does a great performance, but it's kind of like that kind of, to me, jumps out since you mentioned it and since we're talking about like there's no $20 million to $30 million movie. If that was ten, that's kind of like the perfect movie that you would think that nick cage would be able to pull in like 10 million dollars on a movie that's even in theaters but also video on demand yeah not only that but it'll probably you know over the course of many years as it gains some crazy cult status because it's so out there again i don't know i haven't seen it but i just have high expectations for it um i imagine it'll make plenty of money over time have you seen it have I? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everything it's, and, it uh, lives up to. It, does it live up to everything that everyone's talking about? I went in totally cold. I didn't really? know anything about it. Oh. I didn't know anything about it. I saw it um, at a festival, and I went in totally cold, and uh, and it was incredible. I mean, it was an, an incredible experience. And uh, <laughs> yes, it's so funny because we saw a screening of uh, Panos's other movie, Beyond the Black Rainbow. And it, oh, okay. visually, we saw it at USC, actually, and visually, it was great, and the story was a little weird and got, kind of went off the hinges at the end. But then when we saw this, right. we are like, wait, this is Nick Cage, the story seems to be legit, and it has the visuals of Beyond the Black Rainbow. We were, like, completely sold. We were like, why aren't there more movies like this? Like, just give me Nicolas Cage with a battle axe sword or whatever you want to call it, and I will go give them all my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, and the, the performances are uh, are just so strange. <laughs> yes, but uh, yes. I don't know if the story. I don't know if the story adds up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it makes any sense at all. But I <laughs> good. Uh, good, fantastic. Would that have been something that Slater would have been like? Hey, guess what? Uh, you know what? Uh, we've got a. I, I, that seems to be the kind of movie that if it had like coverage, there'd be one person be like, "I'm so sold on this." There'd be another person be like, "It's fine," and then another person be like, "I hated this." And it's like that just seems like something that doesn't even get through slated. Like, there's some movies out there that just I don't oh, know how definitely. they get funding. Oh, totally. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I I don't know. It's such a good question. I um. I, uh, we have had projects like that, that where all three people passed. They were like, what is this? Because we removed the context. And so nobody can say to that person, you know, this is Panos' last movie and Nick Cage is attached. They're just reading the story blind. Right. So, oh, yeah. so we have had, I mean, you know, it's very few in the data set, but we've had a few projects that have gotten uh, passes and they didn't qualify. And I mean, if we didn't have any blips like that, then I, then something would be wrong. Sure, uh, you got to be wrong sometimes, and and I I often think like what what a fantastic experiment it would be to take a couple of fifty two scoring scripts and just throw the most visionary producer and talented <laughs> actor at it yeah. possible and see what we can do. I have projects that have scored in the forties that. I'm in love with because they are so weird and they don't make any sense. And, uh, <laughs> and I just want to, I want someone to make it. So I hope maybe that was the experience that they had. And, uh, yeah. 
and it would be yeah, it would be fun to see that that movie from the 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 guy who had done a bunch of stuff for Funny or Die. Um, you know, you had said that you guys kind of packaged like all the stuff he had done for Funny or Die when you're going to investors. How did that script score? Because you you said yourself it was like a weird script and like super crazy. Did that score well? It did score well. Yeah, I think it got a 76 or a 78, which is very high. Oh, wow. Uh, I was, okay. I was surprised. I mean, but the thing about that script is the conceit is really strange. But then the conceit of that movie is that you are watching a softcore porn film and one of the characters is murdered. <laughs> and the characters imbued only with the level of intelligence that, that the – screenwriter would give them then have to go about trying to solve the murder and as more of them are picked off they experience these pleasantville like awakenings as to as the reality of things and who they've been their whole sort of film not film career because they don't know their actors what is this movie called it's called deep murder as is, it, is it is it vod is it it's uh, it's ju- we are just doing the deal with the distributor, so it will get, it, uh, it it will at some point get a release that I that is hope it's looking like it will be theatrical. That sounds amazing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's it's really weird. but so but I guess the question I was I was looking to get around I was fumbling my way through answering is that that's the what I said is the weirdest thing about it, but then. It actually, it's a murder mystery at its heart, and it actually does a good job of unraveling the murder mystery and solving it and giving each of those characters arcs. So in that sense, it's conventional, even if the way it plays out is really, really weird. Yeah, um, nice. And so I think that's the reason it got us the script score that we did. And I'm, I'm just looking it up on IMDb right right now. You got Jerry O'Connell, Katie Alston, Christopher McDonald. Now, they came and got a script score from you. Who was who were attached before you guys kind of stepped in and helped them? Were these actors attached? Um, who? How much did you guys help in getting these, getting this whole project together? Sure. Yeah. So this project came to us from a partner of ours uh, named Eric Fleischman, who's a producer on the on the film. And Eric is a master at making films, um, the genre films, elevated genre films that are unique at a, for a price. You know for oftentimes under a million dollars and uh, and and sometimes more, but he's just very, very good at creating a really high value project that communicates with its audience. And um, he brought the script to us with the director and the writers. Okay. And I don't know if any talent was attached and uh, he did all the, it was that team that did the work of getting the talent. So we scored the script, we ran the financials, we knew that it qualified. And then actually there was no real team score, but as we were engaging our investor community. They were doing the incredible work that talented producers do, which is attaching another piece of talent and another piece of talent. And that became the updates that we could then share to make it even more appealing. But I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know that, I don't know what the sales, you know, sales look like, but um, I think people just liked the, how weird it was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that, I mean, I am, just from the premise, because again, like I'm so stoked for Mandy. Like the premise, I'm all in. Like I will, I will check this out in theaters. Like this sounds right up my alley. Yeah, and I think you're right. I can't wait to hear what you think. Oh yeah. man, I think you're right. I mean, I I love watching trailers. I love going to the movies, and there is that moment when you see a trailer that's just so different from everything that you've seen or like anything that's out right now, and you just get so excited because I don't know. I I am at least longing for something new yeah i like i immediately when i saw uh sorry to bother you when i saw that trailer i was like i'm i'm gonna go see that in theaters probably opening weekend because it was just so unique and it got even weirder than the trailer show right and i was like and i was all in i was like all right you you got me in with a weird trailer and now it's even weirder i'm still so into this and it's awesome Right, right. I mean, because, right. like, I mean, you got your rom-coms and all this other stuff that keeps going into theaters, but the unique ones, um, I, you know, I have a little biasy towards Happy Time murders, but I, you know, that was intrigued by the idea, heard it wasn't as good as people were hoping, but, like, that kind of stuff I just love, and I think that's hopefully where this goes in terms of, like, 
funding through Slated where like there's opportunities for people to get a little weird and there's still people out there that are like, you know what, we'll fund this. We'll take a chance on it. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. It sounds like we're of the same mind when it comes to film taste. Yeah, yes, and uh, you know, if you do want to send us a screener for Deep Murder, that's completely fine. Because uh, <laughs> I don't want to have to wait. This sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, when we get into that promotional stage, uh, I would love to do that. <laughs> we would love to interview the director. We just need to see the movie first. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, nice. that's that's it for my questions. Alex, you have anything to follow up on? I just had one. This is like Uh-oh. a totally random question Uh-oh. out of the blue. Just kind of like a little bit more of like a. I guess a practical takeaway for some people who are writing scripts right now. Um, sure. And a little bit of a, I think a debate maybe Ooh. that people have, Fight. or just, you know, people have different opinions about stuff. So I just, mm-hmm. I'm just curious about your opinion in, in terms of uh, pitches. Um, how do you feel about comps in pitches? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh, that's right. We, uh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah. That's such a good question. So, I think when you're talking about a deck that you're going to be sharing with investors and it's a horror film, you have to be conscientious of the fact that every other horror film deck they're seeing is going to have get out and a quiet place on it. (laughs) So you don't want to put those two in. And I, you know, this is, you know, October of 2018. Those are the two that are in every deck right now, but um, but there'll be whatever it is for whatever time it is, there's going to be films. So you, I think when it comes to picking your own comps for financial performance, that is inherently a flawed process because you're going to want to pick the breakout movies that your film is likely not going to be like. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, so, so that's a tricky proposition, but I think tonal comps are something that everybody appreciates. Um, you know, if you say this is a, romantic thriller in the vein of fatal attraction, or this is a very quiet, you know, character driven, um, uh, horror film, like a quiet place. It's that's, an, you know, sort of a nice primer for people so that they know when they're reading the script, what type of thing they're engaging with. And I think that's always helpful. And so I use comps in that way, as opposed to saying, um, these are the five financial comps I've hand selected. Um, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. Ig- ignoring the other 10,000. Totally. Um, you know, this one happens to be from the 90s. <laughs> Don't mind that. Right, 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 right. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah we, we've seen that. And, that. and that's, I mean, that that is why I think, whereas reading scripts needs to be done by human beings because it's about human connection, um, financial projections and comps-based analysis should be done algorithmically because it can speak to a database of projects you're not thinking of. You don't. You wouldn't know what the fates of all those movies are until you actually, you know, on average, you know, what your project could do. So that in that case, in terms of the financial conversation, I would I would uh, advocate for some kind of a more robust financial analysis and then give them the tone comp and and let them let them engage with the material and go from there. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much for joining us, yeah, Greg. Appreciate it. This was a great conversation. Man, it was my pleasure. Yes, this is so much fun. Thank you guys for having me and uh Let's keep chatting. Let's, uh, <laughs> hopefully, I can share. We hopefully we'll have some more news on the release of Deep Murder. Fantastic. Soon, and, and maybe we can all go together. All right. Sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. And if anyone wants to get information about Slated, they should go to Slated.com. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Slated.com. There's a a success lander where you can see all the movies that we've helped put together, packaging and financing for. Um, and it's really it takes a minute and a half, I think, to sign up. No time at all. You'll need it profile picture handy but that's the hardest it gets um and from there you can get started you can upload your project if you have any questions as everyone does you can click in the bottom right chat with our customer service person we are here for you awesome, awesome man thanks so much all right that's going to do it again for this episode one thank greg gertmanian again one more time for his informative informative interview um slated is a really cool um interface it's a really good service uh if you are an aspiring filmmaker and kind of want to get some uh feedback on your scripts feedback on your projects and even you know go one step further and start getting it into pre-production trying to find funding definitely check out slated.com like greg said it's easy to sign up um there are paid services so you may have to pay a little bit but you know if you're just trying to figure out that script of yours is 
worth pursuing, it's definitely worth it. So check it out, Slated.com. Uh, you know, me and Alex are on there. We always put up projects and see if we can get funding if somebody's dumb enough to give us money. But uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, thank you for joining us. You can get the show notes for this episode by visiting NoBudgetFilmmaking.com, episode 26. Don't forget to hop on over to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. While you are there, give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. If you have any filmmaking questions, ask away in the comments section and we will try to answer them. Also, like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at Cinema Summit. And I promise next time we do this, it won't just be my annoying voice. Alex's annoying voice will be here as well. So we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Peace.